0: Welcome back, everybody, to a special in-the-studio edition of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode 157, and we're the only show guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.
1: That means if you bought this, you should receive your money back because <laughs> somebody you bamboozled you. <laughs> Who did you buy this yeah, from? I'd like to know. <laughs> Give me names. So we're back, but I feel like I'm in an episode of Apprentice, I said that off camera and you immediately said you're fired. So can I go home now?
0: And I'm still kind of waiting for an answer, like, if you want to let me go right now, I'll just get this Well, you over
1: fired like. me, remember? <laughs>
0: yeah, but then you said, well, it's actually the other way around, so uh, it, we'll both fire each other, yeah. and uh, we'll get go the take heck out of here. It,
1: <laughs> it is Cinco de Mayo as we're filming this, so not like anything's open. It doesn't matter anyways, <laughs> it's just another day.
0: But it is great to be back in the studio. Yesterday was our first day actually back here with everybody, with most everybody. Yeah. And it's just nice to kind of get back into a normal Routine again,
1: a somewhat normal routine. And, and, you know, we're trying to do our best. So here in Missouri, where we're located, uh, governor Parsons opened up businesses, uh, starting on, uh, May the 4th. Mm -hmm. So we obliged, we got back into the studio here. We're following all the CDC guidelines and doing the best we can to, to be safe and Stay healthy, but Hence the uh, distance between us yeah, but in general it was time to get back in it you know they said we could, so we did and i'm I'm glad we're we're getting back to some sort of normalcy here
0: a hundred percent we got a little bit of the uh, turkey season left I guess when this airs turkey season will be in our rear view mirror for Missouri for Missouri yeah yeah so good luck to everyone that's still out there pounding away and maybe still have a tag left to fill.
1: Yeah, I know just from our perspective, Mark and, and his band of merry men and women up at his camp of, I mean, between Missouri and Iowa that, you know, I have bazillion tags, I think. And I think they filled them all, most of them live they're on Facebook. They're fighting turkeys off. Like yeah. they just, it's just a totally different level of turkey hunting. It is. And, and, and the turkey numbers are a little different where they're located at up there. Me I mean, it, it, they definitely have a different, uh, you know, kind of thing happening in those areas. Cause even at dad's place, which is Northern Missouri mm-hmm. marks a little further Northwest, I believe from, from where Terry's at. Yeah, And it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. I mean now back in the day, if you listen to Mark and Terry talk where dad's located kind of near the Kirksville, Missouri area used to be the Mecca. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like where Mark's currently at is the way it used to spot. be. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I, you know, we've had, um, you know, different people come on the podcast and talk about reasons why that might be and, and why numbers. I remember Rob Keck talking about mm-hmm. it and why those numbers are kind of in a, and what feels like a decline. You know, Dr. Mike Chamberlain was talking yeah. about it off camera one day mm-hmm. when we had him on the podcast. So, you know, in general, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about today are hunting numbers, license sales, kind of what this pandemic has done in that regard. And I'm looking forward to jumping into that. Maybe this is a good, Jumping off point to get into it. Yeah, we've got Mm -hmm. Natalie Krebs, who's a senior
0: editor over at Outdoor Life.
1: Natalie, welcome aboard.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate
0: it. it, It's our pleasure. So Matt and I were going back and forth. Um, He had sent me the link to your article, Will Coronavirus Help Get More hunters and more people into hunting and it really sparked a lot of discussion internally here. And, uh, I wanted to have you on to talk about that to kind of talk about the genesis of that and what you found in your research, because we're all looking for a silver lining. There's a lot of stuff that sucks about the pandemic, but are, is there a silver lining for our already beleaguered hunting community?
2: Sure. So, um, I'll run through the article real quick Uh, for anybody who hasn't read it. It it basically looks at the future of hunting, um, which was already kind of on the ropes because we've been losing hunters for a while. Um, But in the near, the near term, like immediately, what does Turkey season look like as a result of coronavirus? Um, What might it look like um, later this fall or in a couple of years? And then what will it look like, you know, way down the line. Um, and so the takeaway is, if you haven't noticed, there are a ton of turkey hunters in the woods right now. Um, public land spots are getting hammered. Um, turkey harvests are up for the most part. It depends on a state by state basis, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of people in the woods. Uh, and while it might be kind of a pain uh, for you as a turkey hunter, um, it's actually a good thing for the sport. It's a good silver lining. We need those license sales um, and those license dollars. Uh, but it's kind of complex, too, because some turkey biologists are worried about turkey harvests and stuff. So um, it's all over the place. But the good news is that um, this is a good thing.
1: You know, <clears throat> it, it's a great thing. And, and I, I think there's a couple of reasons. And we've talked about it a little bit on our podcast before in the last few weeks. I think that, you know, the fact that obviously a lot of people are working from home, a lot of people, they're... Kids aren't in youth sports right now, so they mm-hmm. have the ability not only to take their kid hunting, but then to actually experience hunting again themselves. Yeah. So I often wonder how much of it is uh, is just our numbers coming back a little bit versus what a, a new hunter to our community. The reactivation versus recruitment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I'm sure there's not really a great way or there's maybe not any data yet to, to state that. But, you know, I've seen other articles on Yahoo and Fox and talking about, you know, people that are a little worried about, you know, the meat shortages that You know, been talked about here so much recently Mm -hmm. and wanting to have the ability to go hunt. So I know there's, you know, there's definitely some new hunters in the mix here. You just wonder how many of those uh, license sales can be equated to a, a, a new hunter coming in.
2: Sure. And yeah, like you say, it's pretty tricky because um, like we're in the middle of turkey season, so we don't have data yet. I'm sure states will be able to look and say how many of these were new licensed buyers and how many were people who've had hunter ed numbers forever. Um, So, but either way, that's good news because if you have new hunters coming back who have time to hunt and who maybe didn't make time for it before. Now they have the time and they're remembering how much fun it is to go turkey hunting. Yeah. Like, that's great. Yeah. Um, we like that. But the other thing is that, um, and, and you know, that, that could go back down. Like even if somebody loves to turkey hunt, they may not, they may just not have the time. Um, like you say, like when Corona's over, people are back at work, like family stuff starts up again. We could see that go down. But, um, a promising sign for just like new hunters, um, is that, uh, Google search results are through the roof on things like how to hunt, um, and even how to fish, um, turkey hunting turkey season. Um, that stuff is up and you typically don't see like a veteran turkey hunter who has fallen off the map a little bit, uh, Googling how to hunt turkeys. Um, (laughs) so there's at least interest in it from people who've never done it before. Um, and that's a good sign.
1: Yeah. The, the other uh, caveat to it all is it's, it's interesting timing because, you know, they can't go to the big chain, you know, box store retailers, the brick and mortar, you can order, you know, some supplies online, obviously you can, I, I think some of the smaller brick and mortar stores that are kind of rural are mm-hmm. still open, Yeah, you know, Farm and home. Kind of stores. Y- yeah, exactly. But um, you know, kind of the, I wonder if one of the negative side effects is that, the, the industry itself, minus the license sales, maybe aren't experiencing the boon with uh, product sales that go along with the, the license numbers going up just because they can't get the product, frankly.
0: Yeah. I mean, supply chains are an issue. We know that from our friends that are, that are in the manufacturing side, just how much stuff, you know, companies are based here, but a lot of their manufacturing happens overseas and just getting the product in stores, is even a challenge. S-
1: even the stuff that's based here in the States, you know, plants are shut down, you know, manufacturing facilities are shut down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a tough, it's tough for the manufacturers right now. I just hope that, you know, they're, they're seeing a little bit of benefit out of, out of all that, you know, mm-hmm. at least the spring. You know, Turkey's a category that unlike deer, you know, deer is kind of the main mover of our industry, but Turkey, you probably don't see as many, uh, you know, Turkey related companies out there. So I'm hoping that they did get to experience some of the influx too. a little bump. Yeah.
0: I could see you getting a little self-conscious about your Google search history over there.
1: (laughs) How to turkey hunt? (laughs) I've been Googling that for 20 years. How old is Google? (laughs)
0: 1997, I think is when they popped on the scene. That's when I started Googling how to hunt. How do I do this? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, and the other thing to think about is the sheer safety, you know, with new people coming into the fold. It's awesome. But if you get folks out there that are new to the sport and, I'm, you know, turkey hunting is probably the most
1: dangerous type of hunting there is. Especially public land hunting. If the, if the numbers are increasing, you know, they're shooting anything that moves, it seems like. It's, you got to really identify your target in those scenarios. Yeah.
0: Uh, I was down in Douglas County, Missouri, a couple weekends ago, turkey hunting. And on the news, they had a local guy that had been shot in the face uh, by a, I think it was a younger hunter. He was, this guy was kind of crawling through the, through the underbrush and, and he said it felt like he got hit in the face with a bunch of hornets stinging him. Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't life threatening, but it was, it was awfully scary. The guy was out turkey hunting the next day. No kidding. (laughs) he was that, that dedicated to it, but I'm sure that that's going to be a factor that we've just got to be a little more mindful.
2: Yeah, they're definitely given how many people are in the woods, that's true no matter if we're older hunters or new hunters. Um, like, I think WMA usage in Georgia is up something like 48%, uh, which is crazy. There's just so many people out there. Um, but as far as the new hunters go, um, it, there's not a ton of data to like, this, this is a hunch. Um, but I think a lot of people are probably looking how to get into hunting right now. And so that means people are going to be trying to figure out how to take hunter ed courses, how to get into it. So hopefully this season, we don't have as many like brand spanking new hunters running around uh, for turkey season. Um, And that we'll see like this uh, sort of increase to all the turkey hunters over time in the next couple of years. Uh, but for sure, it's definitely something people need to be more careful about right
1: now. So in your article, you reference New York and um, the ability to, to do some online courses. Do you kind of have an update in that regard or, or more states doing online hunting education, uh, you know, kind of opening that access for people to get the ability to, 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 to learn online and get their tags and stuff?
2: Yeah, for sure. This is something that some states have been working on um, like independently, but COVID has made them move a whole lot faster, which is great because state agencies um, are just behind the times a lot of the times. Like with technology, I mean, try buying a license in any state, and it's such a clunky site. Um, but yeah, so more states are offering it online. Um, New York in particular, um, I have tried uh, to put a number of my friends through hunter education in New York, and they require like mandatory in-person classes and it is a barrier to entry. So this is another good silver lining of COVID is that now everybody can just go online and take their hunter ed in New York um, and not have to deal with in-person stuff. Um, And it it doesn't affect like safety outcomes or anything like that. Um, It just helps more people get hunter safety courses. Um,
1: I mean, the reality of it is in this day and age, Many people are accustomed to going online to get all of their information and you know I mean if we're if we're handing out degrees with online education you know we certainly should be able to figure out you know, maybe it's that they do X amount of the course and then the final step is a a, a consultation or mm-hmm. something, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't know. But, yeah. you know, you would think certainly we can
0: figure it out. The other aspect I can, like, if you are a seasoned hunter, but you have friends that are interested, a lot of states have an apprentice hunter program. So you can circumvent the the hunter safety course for maybe one or two years, get a low cost, like $10 apprentice card. And as long as you're hunting in the direct presence of someone that has a license and has had it for at least a few years, you can hunt without going through the safety course. Cause you know, for a lot of people, it, whether whether you do it online or whether you do it in person, if you do it in person, it's a day and a half or two days. That's a lot of time to invest into something you're not even sure you're going to continue doing. So the apprentice programs are a nice way to help people lower the the barrier to getting into the sport by just buying the tag or buying the permit and then hunting with someone who is seasoned and who has the experience and then they can decide if maybe next year i want to hunt i want to hunt by myself then they go through the safety course
2: Yeah. And that's something that personally, I think every state should offer an apprentice license because with your hunter education class, they call it hunter ed, but it's really hunter safety. Like they teach you what to do and what not to do. They don't teach you how to hunt deer or how to hunt turkeys. Like people will come out with a certification and have no idea what to do. Um, So apprentice licenses are a great way to actually like hunt safely with somebody who wants to help you out. Um, so I totally agree with you. That is something every state should have, whether or not COVID prompts states to do that. We'll see, but Mm -hmm. it's a great idea.
1: It is. It's really handy. I mean, we've had a few guests, you know, partners and and things like that come into camp and and use apprentice, you know, the apprentice program to to hunt with us. And, you know, if you, if that's a way you can get somebody interested in the sport by going with somebody that may know a little bit more, because I think that's the, the, you know, they they look at it like, man, I don't know where to start, you know? So if you go go sit in the the woods with somebody that's been doing it for a long time, there's no better way. It really is. It's, it's a Mm -hmm. hunter education class for all in in one there. Yeah. Probably a lot safer
0: and it's cheaper and it just makes a ton of sense. Yeah, Uh, Hunters. This has been my thesis for a long time is that hunters are probably the best anti hunters because whether we're being selfish or we're being mean to uh, you know comparing other people's kills i think we probably do a better job of keeping people out of our sport than than anti than true anti-hunters do uh natalie are you seeing anything any sentiments from long timers who are maybe a little salty towards towards people who are new to the sport
2: yeah, it's definitely, absolutely. Because um, it's like, you know, nobody wants more hunters in your own public land spot. It's like, yeah, that sounds great, but not in my county. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, you it's know, like it's understandable. Field. Like there's a finite, the resource is finite, um, land and access is finite. Um, but so I've seen a lot of our longtime contributors uh, say like, yeah, that's a great concept, but like there, we don't need more hunters. Have you been like in the woods at all? Uh, but what I will say is that when people actually get to know somebody who wants to learn how to hunt. Um, they're suckers for trying to help people learn to hunt because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that uh, I talked about in that article, I was talking to um, a guy who thinks we need to make um, helping people learn to hunt cool, like the new thing in hunting. Um, Cause it's really cool to watch somebody shoot their first year and help them shoot their first year. And the idea is like, if you do that, like you're gonna have fun. like you're gonna lose that competitive edge because you still know more than this person. you're still gonna be able to like go do things that they can't and have a skill level that they don't. Um, but you know, you make some new hunting buddies, you might get some new land access as a result. Um, it's It's fun, which is why mentoring could work if we all got on board with it.
0: Yeah, and everyone getting on board with it is is a challenge because uh, yeah, I, I I kind of made the joke that it's like a landfill. Like people want a place to put their garbage, but they don't want it in their backyard.
1: Well, I think you know you look at it a couple different ways. So obviously, I don't have the perspective of a of a the public land side because I've always hunted with dad you know, whether it be on a lease, you know, when I was a young kid mm-hmm. in Illinois or, you know, in our backyard, mm-hmm. you know, our 24 acres at home or now, you know, at his farm. So I don't have that perspective like you might have in, in regards to going to a public area or suburban, you know, type hunting. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think, you know, you look at you look at people and they say, well, if it's your spot, you bought the land and you pay the taxes and you have all the input costs and the blood, sweat, and tears. I think it's, it's definitely a different type of mentality that you have to get, get over into to, to say, yes, I want someone to come in and hunt my stuff. Yeah. And, and then on the on the other side, if you are publicly land hunter, to you guys's point, it, it, you know, Do I want more people in my spot? Yeah. You know, it's already tough. So I get it. It's it's, you know, I think the privatization of land is is as much a fault as anything out there, but I don't have an answer for it. You know, it's probably not a hot take here. You know, I don't have an answer (laughs) on how you fix that other than maybe you have to, you have to kind of get over yourself and and invite others are. If you have a lease, you know, invite someone with you or, you you know, you kind of got to get over that. I think it's, I mean, we're playing long ball here, right?
0: I mean, we're either thinking about this season and the tag I have in my pocket, or we're thinking about the rights and opportunities of hunters, a generation two or three downstream from us. Yeah. And that's, that's hard to do, especially when you're eating tag soup right now. And Still haven't killed yet.
1: Yeah.
2: Well and the other thing too is like I think in I mean, you guys think about big bucks all the time. Like that's what you do and you love to do. Um, but like one way that private landowners can Help with this is like a lot of people have way too many does. Certain areas where you live, there's overpopulation of whitetails. People can't kill enough does to balance the population. And, like, you know, if you can bring somebody onto your property to shoot their first doe and they're not going to touch your bucks, so or you can do it in a way that doesn't pressure the property, like you can help each other out uh, that way. That's something I did actually in Missouri uh, in December. We did a QDMA field fork hunt, and this landowner who kills big bucks every year had you know, six hunters come in and kill six does. Um, and four of those people had killed their first deer doing that. Um, so that was a win-win and that was really cool. And then the other thing is like, it doesn't have to be deer. Um, like people are into squirrel hunting, still small game. And like, that's a pretty low impact early season thing you can do. Um, also on public land as well, pretty easily. Like that's not too competitive. So there are ways, even if it is, you know, even if people are thinking deer, it doesn't have to be quite that big scale.
0: Squirrel hunting is a great way to get people into hunting because it is it is an emotionally complex thing to kill a large game animal. To see something the size of a almost a person laying there, dead or dying, versus a squirrel. You know, there's just something... You di- kill a, di- yeah, a Yeah, kill the tree rat. It, it's you know. a little different. Obviously, there's still... There's still life there that you've taken, and and there still has to be some reverence, but there's just the gravity is a little different. No doubt. And so so turning people on to squirrel hunting, and there are concepts, you know, skinning the squirrel, it's the same concept applies. Take the guts out, take the skin off, all that kind of stuff. Same concepts apply, but on a much smaller scale and much more easily for someone to figure out and kind of work their way through. No doubt. And we got way too many squirrels. <laughs> there's no shortage. Especially when you're and deer hunting, <laughs> that's the only time when I go squirrel hunting. I'm seeing deer. When I'm seeing when I'm deer hunting, I'm seeing squirrels. Yeah, there you go, no doubt. Um, so so Natalie, where do we go from here? Do you think that this is that 2020 is going to be a blip on the radar for hunter numbers, or is this the start of something bigger?
2: Uh, that's a great question. That. Uh, We'll have to see. There's two arguments for it. Like, one, it could just be a blip. Everybody's out of work right now. Like, it's not new hunters. And the other thing is, um, like, we're in a recession right now and people are getting hard up for cash. And um, we saw a slight decrease in hunting license sales in 2009 after the 2008 financial crisis. So, that, I mean, that could happen again very well. But on the other hand, we could see like year over year more folks get into it. And that's kind of, that'll be hard to say was it Corona or was it all of our recruitment efforts we've already been working on, which are maybe finally starting to kick in, um, which would be great because this has been a problem since the 80s. Um, So hopefully, yes, um, like we could use some good news from this. Um, So I'm hopeful and optimistic. And I think um, states will sort of speed up their reactions to things as a result of having to go digital for a lot of this and Mm -hmm. make it more accessible to people um, all over the country as opposed to just in certain areas.
0: There certainly is a need for state game agencies to up their their game. Here in Missouri, we have a very unique model. It's an apolitical model. Um, and it's pretty well funded it's not impacted by the changing winds of who's in the governor's seat, which is nice, but a lot of states their d n r s run their run their their game management and it's just a different story so it's nice to see them finally getting a kick in the butt to to do things right no doubt
1: well let's jump into the question of the day here. Let's do it. All right. So the question of the day is proudly brought to you by RTP Outdoors, home of the groundbreaking groundbreaker three-in-one food plot implement.
2: My name is Brianna. I'm a female archer. I pull um, 50 pounds with my Hoyt. Um, I shoot normal size diameter arrows with a fixed blade. Would it be better if I shot the thinner diameter arrows? And should I move to a mechanical or stay with my fixed? That would be great to know. Thank you.
0: So we are fortunate that Natalie is an avid bow hunter. So Natalie, what do you think about Brianna's question around, you know, she's shooting 50 pounds. She's obviously thinking about maximum penetration, maximum kinetic energy, should she go to small diameter shaft? Should she go to a fixed blade versus a mechanical? What do you think?
2: Sure. Um, so, uh, I would say that 50 pounds is plenty, um, to, you know, kill deer. And it depends. I, I, I didn't catch where she's hunting, uh, whether it's out West or in the East, but, um, I shoot, I probably pull 55 to 60 pounds, um, depending on which blow I'm shooting. And it, uh, you're going to get better penetration with a micro diameter or a smaller diameter arrow. Um, so I don't think there's any reason not to switch besides the fact that the arrows can sometimes be a little more expensive depending on what model you get. Um, you'll get better penetration, uh, you'll get better velocity downrange, um, and you can have less drag on it. Um, so especially if you're shooting farther distances, um, it's a great option. Uh, but there's no reason not to set yourself up for success with that. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the mechanicals first fixed blade go, um, that is something that I'm partial to fixed blades. I don't like messing with something that could potentially fail. And if you're pulling 50 pounds, um, like you want to make sure that it deploys every single time. Um, so I would be inclined to stay with a fixed blade. Um, if you're worried about extra penetration, you could do like a heavier front of center um, and switch from like 100 grain to 125 grain and have a heavier um, like front on your arrow. And that could help. Um, but uh, if it's a question between like two smaller diameter holes with a fixed blade and one large uh, mechanical hole. Like I want that second hole every time to help me with blood tracking. Yeah, so. no doubt.
1: Makes sense. I know Taylor had for a long time was shooting um, a rage SS, yeah, SS. and Mark uh, switched her over to, I think uh a rage expandable 2.0 this past year. And uh, cause he, he was noticing that she was getting plenty of penetration. And so he switched her over to that larger cutting diameter and she mm-hmm. had, she had no issues with it this year. So, <laughs> you know, for those of you that might, be curious. It, it can, you know. I think, like Natalie said, fifty pounds is more than enough to to kill a deer. It's really what you're comfortable with, and uh, we've seen some pretty good success out of those expandables. And I think once you're up over that fifty pounds, you you're probably well within the range for a a two two inch you know cutting diameter.
0: Yeah, especially with the efficiency of today's bows. Yeah, if you're hunting the Midwest, well, kind of like 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 you were mentioning Natalie, like where is she hunting at out west? You know, obviously you're shooting farther here in the Midwest. Most of your shots are going to be around 20, 20 yards or so. And so you're not losing a ton of energy on your arrow at that point. So, um, yeah, very good. Brianna, thank you for asking the question. If you want to answer, if you want us to answer a question on the show, just hop on to drearyoutdoors.com slash podcast. Click the send voicemail button and leave us your name, location, and what your question
1: is, and we will do our best. It'd be something if they came on and answered their own question. <laughs> that's what you were getting at there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a self service kind of deal. Yeah, you can ask whatever you want, but be prepared to answer it. <laughs> we got nothing for you. <laughs>
0: ask us any question you want. We reserve the right to say we don't know. <laughs> uh, how about the wildlife word? You guys ready for the wildlife word? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All I'm right, jacked. <laughs> <laughs> this week's wildlife word is rumination.
1: Natalie, you seem much smarter than I. Do you have any idea what this can mean? Rumination.
2: Um. Well, I'm going to try and not make a bad pun about ruminating on this question, uh, Ew, but I'm pretty. <laughs> I did it. I'm sorry, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that um, a ruminant is something that chews its cud, like a cow. A
0: deer. Yeah.
1: We got a she smarty. Knows, she knows her stuff.
0: <laughs> and so, this is just the verb form of that. It's what those ruminants do. It's the act of a ruminant animal, such as a deer or elk, regurgitating previously consumed food and rechewing it for digestion. This is the process all deer go through and sometimes called chewing the cud. She might be the first one that's
1: ever gotten the wildlife word of the day.
0: She wins. <laughs> Nothing. For awesome. winning, we're going to send you an outdoor life hat. <laughs>
2: Look, it's already here. Hey,
0: we're that's quick. How fast we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, nearly I, I would have to say thank you for, for your piece in outdoor life. I think it's important that we're calling attention to these larger trends in the hunting community. I think we need to be forward thinking, long term thinking. And Kind of considering the plight and the needs of others, not just our own seasons and what that's looking like.
1: I just ask that once the data all comes in, that you give us an updated article down the road, because I'm really curious. As soon as I started reading it, and that's why I sent it to Tim, I'm like, man, I really would love to see what these totals are going to be at the end of turkey season, Mm -hmm. because – you know, I, I had heard that Tennessee was way up because they had an early season. You know, you kind of were hearing some of that. But then you wonder states that cut out the out of state, you know, tags yeah, you know if that that was a you know a factor in, in the overall numbers they had to be.
0: And, and if turkey numbers are lower, if people aren't don't experience success, they're less
1: likely to come back to it. yeah so
0: w- what that look like for
1: next year? That's said, and maybe it's because there are so many people out there this year, but my news feeds were like, Jammed up with turkey pictures this deer year. Cast. It, the fan feed and deer cast. It just felt like there was more this year than normal, and a lot of them youth. And I've said this on another podcast: youth and you know d- dads, you know wives, whatever, getting out. It just seemed like it was a lot more variety of people this this turkey season than in years past. What
0: was weird was previous to this weekend, I would just go scroll through and just hate these people just hate and then after saturday i was like oh nice job
1: yeah Way you to go buddy you never liked any of the photos until you killed on saturday because <laughs> i'm a small man <laughs> small
0: and petty yeah well <laughs> the world is just a sweeter place after you punch a tag
1: after you eat some turkey breast <laughs> yes and we did
0: and we've got more in the fridge so and it sounds like natalie you've got a tag left to fill
2: yeah, I do. Uh, I, uh, I killed a bird with my dad on opening day and it's now been, I don't know, 13 days of hunting for myself. And, uh, so season ends on Sunday. Hopefully, uh, I can make something happen well, you right now. Back. I'm still angry at all those people on my <laughs> newsfeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: good deal. Yeah. Report back and let us know. We will link up the article in the show notes of this episode. So folks want to read the article for themselves because you go through a number of different aspects of this. We, we gave a kind of an overview treatment here, but if you really want to dig deep into the numbers, see her sources, definitely check out that article over on outdoorlife.com.
1: All right, Natalie, you got anything that you want to plug before we uh, sign off?
2: Uh, No, just check out the article and I will uh, work on that next story for you guys.
1: There you go.
0: See how many so turkeys good. people killed this year. Well, well thank thank you to everyone who has joined us this week. It uh, feels good to be back in the studio. If you have friends that like hunting and they don't know about this show, what kind of a friend are you? <laughs> you got to tell them. <laughs> That's right. Please. We're going to go the PBS route and like guilt people into having people
1: watch <laughs> the show. I'm fixing to have a marathon here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Jerry Lewis telethon. That's right. Well, Terry is Jerry. I can totally <laughs> yeah, see him doing that. Senile, people would give us money for him old. to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Never stops
0: once <laughs> Ugh, it starts. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Terry is Jerry. Every story starts with, and to make a long story short, <laughs> yeah. and then he's just going to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gang. Well, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate Natalie Krebs. Thank you for
1: hopping on. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thanks. Talk to you all later. Peace See out. See ya.